So are Beanie Babies like uh, collectibles? Were they collectibles? Yes, they were. Was there a mani mania in, in Beanie Babies? Yes. Um, is Bitcoin kind of like Beanie Babies? And that is Bitcoin actually more like similar to a collectible. And um, specifically some kind of tangible collectible. In theory, perhaps there could be an intangible collectible. I'm having a hard time thinking of one. But um, I do think the, the intangible nature of Bitcoin presents a problem. And it, it makes it hard to classify. I have come across several definitions of a commodity that say it has to be tangible to be a commodity. I really don't think Bitcoin fits the definition of a commodity, something like a raw input good um, that is useful or consumed to produce something else or to satisfy some need. Um, I don't think Bitcoin fits. And I think the idea around how Bitcoin is generated or how it's produced, how it comes to in, into existence, the very terminology of, of what they call Bitcoin mining is very deceitful, right? It's, um, it's meant to confuse you. It's meant for you to think of it as a commodity like oil, right? Or gold or something that you, uh, or even, you know, corn or wheat, um, pigs. Um, but it's, it's just, it's not. How can all Bitcoin is, if you think about it, is basically a ledger in a database. Um, how can a ledger be a commodity? I, I don't see it. <laughs> um, so what is Bitcoin? I mean, is it a collectible? In my opinion, it might be closest to a collectible. Like if we're trying to fit Bitcoin into something, uh, a collectible would be more generous to Bitcoin than, say, calling it a security. Because calling it a security, you know, the hodlers, the Bitcoiners definitely don't want that <laughs> to happen to the precious Bitcoin. So, you know, if we can compromise, I would say perhaps they might agree Right. They'd be offended, but they might agree that calling Bitcoin as a collectible is far better than calling Bitcoin you know, a security because uh, then they don't get in trouble with the SEC. Now, I don't know if there are rules around collectibles. And I was trying to figure this out. Um, you know, if you're interested in Bitcoin, if you're interested in in the concepts around Bitcoin, what drives people to Bitcoin, this whole Bitcoin mania, in my opinion, you need to study uh, manias of the past. Now, again, they're not going to be exactly like that's fine, um, but they are going to have similar uh, similarities. And I think if you study what happened with Beanie Babies, it's actually super, super fascinating. There's Beanie Babies got started up in the 90s, and the mania phase was sort of towards, you know, the mid to late 90s. This was when, you know, we had tech stocks, right, the dot-com boom. And it sort of followed, I think, the bust of the dot-com era. So it sort of bust either right before, or, you know, right <laughs> during, or maybe right after. I'm not sure exactly. But um, it followed this mania 
in stocks. And um, it became a speculative uh, thing, right? And what's interesting about collectibles is that you think scarcity, you think rare, you think something that might hold its value or go up in value, right? But what gives it its value is basically, you know, you're sort of paying an inflated price and the cost to produce it, but you think that someone um, down the line will pay an even greater price. And I've heard this explained before, you know, I think I first heard, I think it was Peter Schiff that first said he thought of Bitcoin more as a collectible. Um, and he explained the analogy of baseball cards where baseball cards existed and they printed some, you know, so many of them a long time ago and, um, certain players became famous and what happened was those cards became more rare because no one was like keeping their baseball cards pristine or hardly anybody was, but these players somehow became famous and nobody knew maybe in the beginning when they were going to become famous. Um, and this is assuming maybe a certain amount of baseball cards were produced in some year. Um, so then, um, people wanted cards of their favorite players or the best players. Um, and they wanted these old cards and there weren't that many of them. So it became a collectible, you know, not through, through more natural forces or just random, random chance events. Uh, what I'm comparing this to is a mass produced item, like a Furby, right? I remember those or, you know, a beanie baby, right? That, that there's, there's current production of this stuff. It's like mass produced. And there's some kind of um, perhaps artificial scarcity um, embedded, right? So someone's, someone is artificially controlling this market. And they, basically the, the creator was Ty, Ty, whatever his name was, Warner. So basically the company that he ran uh, was deciding on a whim which ones he would produce, which ones he would retire, etc. But it's artificial because he could he could have ramped up production production at any time. Um, and what's interesting about the Beanie Baby scenario, and I haven't dug too much into it, but I believe that he himself, Ty, right, his company, basically it wasn't like he sold some at a hundred bucks and some at five bucks. And this is critical, in my opinion. Um, he sold them, and then he sort of he sort of allowed the decentralized collectors, if you want to call them, um, uh, pump the market. So these are the people who who were rushing out to get them, sort of created this scarcity environment, and then jacked up prices. And there's one particular lady who actually put an ad out in a paper and just listed prices of what she thought these beanie babies that were supposedly more rare because they had retired them on purpose should go for. So she created the market, right? And then, and then the prices would sort of go there <laughs> in a way. Like that's what, that's what, that's what she said, or that's what this story says um, in this one article I read. <sighs> that's exactly like crypto in my mind. Crypto is mass produced. 
it's artificially capped at 21 million. Bitcoin is at least. Um, there's no such thing as retirements, but there is idea of this scarcity. And they, this is what these people promote, the scarcity of Bitcoin. So, but again, the creator of Bitcoin of the protocol isn't the one jacking up prices. He isn't the only one selling, right? So the way that Thai companies sold Beanie Babies, he sold them to everybody. But I was looking for fraud because I was thinking, well, how can he sell some at a low price and others at super high prices? I don't think that's what he did. He sold them all at the same price, but then he let um, people buy them and then resell them. And there's this law of like for sale where you can resell a tangible, you know, item at whatever price, you know, a willing, you can find a sort of a willing buyer. Um, so what these people did was create this frenzy where, you know, maybe by writing articles, they had a whole, you know, Beanie Baby magazine. Think about Bitcoin magazine. They had big, they had Beanie Baby magazine. Um, of course, this was highly covered in news. Uh, maybe they paid for promotion, right? But it started off where these certain collectors decided to like corner the market and create shortages by buying them all up, hyping it. And then like certain ones would be defective and these would be considered rare. And so they, you know, they, they would be like um, sold out. And then this lady would, I guess, publish prices or, you know, there'd be somebody doing a market analysis every week. Um, and they'd be listing out prices and then people would see the prices go, what creates the mania. So, um, the same thing is happening like in crypto and I'm focusing here on Bitcoin specifically where Satoshi, right? Didn't just, it was decentralized. So you have in theory, all of these people mining these Bitcoins and then they have an incentive, just like these first collectors of Beanie Babies did to buy them all up and huddle them, right? Keep them off the market generate news items and stories and blogs about how scarce and of course bitcoin has a little bit uh, different narrative than the bean baby does um but they had to create a story around it you know and the fact that they call it money and whatever yada 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 is is what people focus on because if they were to focus on the truth right that bitcoin is just uh, a ledger of numbers in a database why would anybody think that that is scarce or or money or like or that it could be sound money or that it could be rare <laughs> i mean it's beyond me but they have to create this whole narrative around bitcoin to sell it in my opinion but what's what's super interesting is the is comparing bitcoin to this idea that it's a collectible but just like so i was trying to figure out did this guy tie commit fraud and you know I tend to think he probably he kind of didn't I tend to think yes he did control the retirement and supply of certain beanie babies right and he controlled where he distributed that but that is his right you know as a business owner right as a producer of these products um, he can retire any of them that he wants and he doesn't really have to give a reason I don't think you can get him on any kind of manipulation um, I don't think he was, you know, in this art, one article I read, it was like, he didn't even like the collectors because I think he thought the collectors were making all the money because they were driving up the price. 
But Ty himself, the guy, he didn't jack up the price, right? But that was that was actually his success. And maybe he figured that out. And maybe I could be wrong. I'm speculating. But in my opinion, that was the key to him making billions of dollars because he kept prices low. He basically allowed anyone to get in right to these Beanie Babies. And they would all sort of, not all of them, but they would hope that maybe the serious people would hope, right, that their Beanie Baby might be retired one day um, from this manufacturer. And then the scarcity narrative would be would go into effect and then their beanie baby would worth be worth, you know, I don't know, a thousand times what they paid for it. So it was kind of gambling on their part. Um, and you know, this guy Ty was thinking, I'm not making all the money, you know, uh, that, that these collectors are making off me, but really he did make a lot of money because he was able to mass produce them all kinds. And a lot of them were not that scarce, but a lot of people bought them. It was a frenzy, right? And it was just a big thing uh, to have. And the more people that could buy them, right, because they were, you know, somewhat low priced, um, they just became a thing to have or to a gift to give. Or, you know, I think they were like five, seven bucks, six, seven, eight bucks around there. Kind of the perfect gift uh, to give a child, to even give an adult woman. I mean, you probably wouldn't give it to an adult male. But in theory, um, this is a good gift. And it's also, they were everywhere, right? They were in all the stores. And Ty made the bulk of his money right on the volume and licensing rights, right, of the Beanie Baby. <laughs> so uh, the promotion. Um, so while the collectors, some of the collectors made a lot of money, right, off of driving up scarcity narratives, blogging about Beanie Babies, you know, this was in the days of, you know, the early internet. So creating web pages about them, you know, putting price ads up there, putting price, you know, uh, lists up there, what they think the baby, 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 baby should fetch. Um, it spurned a, you know, a little market around this, uh, beanie baby fad. Um, but they kind of, you know, one enriched the other, right. They were all sort of working in concert. Now, you know, you can't call Beanie Babies a security because they're a tangible, fluffy product. And that is the advantage over Bitcoin because <laughs> Bitcoin's nothing. Um, so the advantage of like selling a real product like this um, is that you can never really be, be told by the SEC you're selling a security product. Uh, so I think this is, I mean, it's obviously a fad um, and it might be easier to see than the Bitcoin artificial scarcity narrative, but, um, you know, in hindsight's 2020, right? But, um, people get caught up in the fad of thinking they can get rich and, um, they kind of turn off their brain and that's what's been happening with Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin is, a, is far more complicated to dissect really because it's got a lot of moving pieces than being babies. Um, but, you know, I would comment that, you know, so I don't think Ty necessarily did anything wrong with his retirement of these things, um, as far as I can tell. But because he's a businessman, he can make these business decisions. Um, now he can't he can't lie and say like I'm oh, that would be fraud. I don't think I don't you know I don't know of any any time he did that. But um, but yeah, he I don't think he committed fraud. Um, 
Now, did the, the early collectors, do they, do they bear any responsibility? They might bear some responsibility, maybe for manipulating. Um, I think it's even harder though to, to say they, they, they manipulated a market. I mean, she just put out an ad and put prices. You're allowed to post prices. This is called just an offer. No one has to hit your offer, right? They can reject your, your price list. <laughs> uh, so it's just sort of an advertisement, which was kind of cool. Um, you're, you're allowed to resell a real tangible products that you bought. Um, <clears throat> and that's what these people were doing. They were trading them. Um, to the extent that these ladies, these early collectors were putting out false information, maybe, maybe on the numbers, maybe on the accuracy. Um, if they put out anything untrue, then they could be, they could have been uh, charged with fraud or sued privately. But I don't think they, I don't, I, you know, I haven't heard any stories over whether they were, you know, fraudulently <laughs> posting, uh, incorrect information. I just have to assume that they, they weren't. So I think this is sort of just a lesson um, to study. You know, it doesn't fit Bitcoin or crypto exactly, um, but it does give you a guide to how to create like a cryptocurrency, how and why to create artificial scarcity. You have to have this artificial scarcity built in and you can do this a number of different ways. And, you know, really the genius of this Thai guy, uh, I think he stumbled upon it by accident. It was again, like the manufacturing went wrong. He, you know, they didn't have the it didn't have the right size ear or something. They stopped manufacturing it, uh, but it was already sold into the market. And then this created sort of a, a rare scarcity item. And then others were just discontinued for other reasons. Um, and then they started changing, and then people were upset, you know, oh, why aren't you making more? And then when, the, you know, uh, in this article, it says, once he changed the narrative to, we're retiring it. You know, so the gimmick with the, <laughs> with the beanies, <laughs> they always had, they always came with this birth date. You know, it didn't really mean anything to, you know, to most people, I don't think. I guess it just showed you the order in which, you know, they, they came about because you could, in theory, say, well, this one was an early one, this one was a late one. Um, right. But the, the, the birth, I didn't really tell you, like, is this one still being produced or not? So you had to, uh, I guess go find that information out separately, but, um, the birth date. Oh, so then some of, so then they changed the language and they said, okay, we're going to now retire some of these. Um, and you'd have to go to the Thai website to find out. They would announce it there and it would always, and you know, apparently it was random. Apparently he would just decide right, which ones would be retired and then create, create this scarcity um, event. And so what it was is almost like a lottery. Like if, you know, assuming no one had insider knowledge, <laughs> I guess if he had insider knowledge of which ones um, he was going to uh, say we're, we're going to be discontinued. I'm sure maybe people that worked at his company knew and they could just buy them all up. So I'm sure there was some of that going on. But is that like insider trading? Mm, I don't know. It depends on. No, because the Thai company wasn't actually selling them for more. I think the Thai company was always selling them for the same low price, which actually lured in more people. He was able to sell more product with the idea that some of them you might get lucky, <laughs> the ones that you buy might end up being scarce. So 
this is very different than Bitcoin, right? Everybody knows that there's going to be 21 million Bitcoin, supposedly, right? And this number can be changed. <laughs> a lot of them don't like to admit this, but just the other weekend, they were talking about changing this number, even if it's just ever so slightly, so that the Bitcoin miners still get like a subsidy of Bitcoin uh, into the distant future. But everybody knows how much Bitcoin there's going to be. So you buy into Bitcoin. Well, some people maybe don't, don't, don't know as much as others, but you're buying into Bitcoin knowing that it's 21 million. But 21 million is just a number. It's just a random number. You don't have any, you don't have anything to compare it to. So, but you're told it's scarce. You're told, oh, this is scarce. Like there's only 21 million. Just the way it's framed, people say it's only 21 million. And they also like to, to use this um, key little fact that, oh, 91% have already been mined. And what they're implying right here is that 91% have already been distributed. There's not that many left, right, to be produced, to, to be sold. And so if you have less that are coming out later, um, it means there's less for the people who are hodlers, right? Because apparently they're trying to buy every sat they can, you know, every week or whatever, when they get paid. Um, this is the idea that like, there's just not going to be enough because there's only going to be, you know, we only have more like 10% more to go. Um, and this is idea that like, it's going to be scarce because it's this idea that, well, the rest of the Bitcoin um, are, I guess, in quote unquote, strong hands, right? They're not going to be dumped on the market which of course isn't true. We never know how many are going to come on the market. So you can't just look at like the additional supply schedule. You have to look at, you know, total, you know, how much might be dumped, right? And is there adequate demand for that? Nobody can really, I don't think, predict that. Um, so, um, but this is a lesson in artificial scarcity. And it, the, they're, they're both artificial, artificially scarce. And they're both... Um, called collectibles or um, categorized perhaps as collectibles because they fit this narrative of, is this thing scarce? Will it go up right in price? Um, but in my opinion, it's not a real collectible. Like, because it's, again, it's artificially manipulated in some way. Like Ty, Ty the Ty guy who created the company, now, I don't think he did anything wrong by retiring beanies, right? By stopping their production. Um, but he did it on purpose, right? Let's admit that he, he did this to create artificial scarcity. The Bitcoiners did it on purpose. They did it on purpose where there's only going to be 21 million of these things. And they also did it on purpose where in the very uh, first four years of Bitcoin, 50% of all the Bitcoin that was ever going to be mined were mined, right? They have, they, they front loaded it. Right. So that early people win and later people um, lose. Right. Or later people have to spend more energy uh, in theory. Right. If there's to get less Bitcoin. Now, that's relative, because if if no one wanted to buy in Bitcoin, the difficulty would be very low. But the amount of Bitcoin that, that is rewarded per block does change. It does have every four years. Um, so, again, it's this idea of. Hey, if you were really early to Beanie Babies, and by early with Beanie Babies, if if Ty Warner, right, he he had a wholesaler, or he had he had people make them right somewhere, maybe China, and then so there are certain collectors that were able to like buy buy from these people that were making them directly, 
right? But normally when things get made, you, you sell it to like a, a retail shop or something like that or wholesaler and then they sell it to a retail shop and there's markups, you know, along the way. Well, somebody was able to like, I don't know how they did this, but they were able to, you know, get a bunch um, that they knew had a defect or something and they scooped them up, you know, directly from the wholesaler. Now there might be rules like legal rules against this and, you know, from the company itself. I think the company itself determines these kinds of rules. But the point is, is that you could call these early collectors, right? The same people that were astute and early to Bitcoin who ran to Bitcoin and saw an opportunity to get a bunch of cheap Bitcoin early or mine a bunch of cheap Bitcoin and then create this narrative around Bitcoin and, and huddle the Bitcoin and keep a lot of it off the market so they could pump the price, uh, which they did, <laughs> and then sort of manipulate the market up and, and in, in, a, in, in a way. Um, so a lot of people made a lot of money in, in Beanie Babies. Um, you know, some people made millions, uh, but a lot of people lost. And the people who lost weren't the people who just bought a few, right, for their kids. The people who lost were the people who treated this as an investment and put like 100K into Beanie Babies. There were people uh, with houses full of Beanie Babies. And there's this been there's been this picture going around of this couple in 1999 who were getting a divorce and they um, were like splitting their beanie babies in front of the judge in a stock portfolio, right? Because these things were considered at this time financial assets or collectibles, right? They had some some high price, apparently at least for the rare ones, so they were considered by some to be investments. Just like Bitcoin today is considered to be an investment, even though it's really, it shouldn't be considered an investment. I mean, I guess it's, I guess it's relative. Um, I don't like to use the word investment because I think it gives people the wrong idea. I think it's, I think if it's marketed be, marketed as an investment, um, depending on like, you can get sued, right? If you're promoting it on CNBC, you can be sued. Um, because it's not a suitable investment. It's not a traditional investment, at least. Now, if you want to gamble on Bitcoin, that's fine. But if you're in a position where you're influencing other people, I think uh, you could be in a lot of trouble. So just like the people who said that Beanie Babies were an investment one time, um, now they had, you know, they were selling little little stuffed animals, right? Um, with Bitcoin, it's, what are they selling? Like, I don't know, maybe a security, right? Maybe, maybe you could call it a collectible, right? Just, just these numbers on a ledger. Um, but the problem with Bitcoin, right, is that it's not cuddly, like a little, um, a little bear, the Beanie Baby. So like the Beanie Babies at least were sold, apparently, I think. I could be wrong. The Beanie Babies were initially sold, I think, at the same price. So it's a little bit smarter than Bitcoin because Bitcoin, right, it just it's all depending on the market where it's trading now. And so at least with the Beanie Babies, it was almost like a more fair way to gamble because if everyone's buying like Beanie Babies at a certain low price from the manufacturer or from the, you know, Thai company through the retail resellers, um, eight bucks or whatever they're paying. Uh, and then the scarcity event came, right? Or you, I guess you could say that, Maybe some were just more valuable than others. Just people liked maybe lambs better than, I don't know, some other one that they had. Um, 
that, that maybe wasn't as popular. But but the idea is that um, it was almost more fair, right? Because you, if you got Bitcoin, you could get Bitcoin, your first, first Bitcoin at like 60K uh, versus maybe a Beanie Baby you got and you took a gamble on, you know, you thought maybe this one would be scarce, maybe not, but you only paid six, six bucks. The problem was when people went all in on Beanie Babies, they bought like, you know, thousands of these things and they treated it as a real like investment, like a sure thing or a gamble. And it just didn't pay off for them. So, um, yeah, I almost think Beanie Babies were more genius um, than Bitcoin <laughs> uh, in ways. Now, Bitcoin has made, you know, more people, more money. <laughs> Um, and you know, it has the cryptography, which it, 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 Bitcoin appears legitimate because of all the heavy math, all the cryptography, right? Like versus the Beanie Babies, you know? So I watched this tape of VHS, it was on YouTube and it was this interview with these three women who were early collectors and this guy was interviewing them and he was you know, talking about counterfeit Beanie Babies and how do you spot them? Um, you know, and I figured, you know, most, most people in Beanie Babies were probably women, right? They're, they're stuffed animals. Now that's not really a manly thing to do. <laughs> uh, so I doubt, I mean, there was probably, you know, anything that could, that can make you money in it, you know, regardless, you know, regardless of gender, right? You might do, <laughs> but there probably weren't a whole lot of men, um, who found that cool, right? Who were going to the conferences. I'm sure there were Beanie Baby conferences. I was trying to find the Beanie Baby conferences, online um, because I wanted to compare uh, them to Bitcoin, right? Because there's Bitcoin conferences pretty much every month now. Uh, you can count on it there being another Bitcoin conference <laughs> or crypto conference or whatever kind of conference. Um, so I assume there were, you know, Beanie Baby conventions. I assume that, um, you know, they had a Beanie Baby magazine. They had Beanie Baby websites, trading websites, all kinds of stuff. Um, but, but, but back to, you know, you're selling stuffed animals, cute stuffed animals for kids versus, right. It's this cool, like computer network thing with a lot of programming and there's cryptography and it's really difficult to understand. And then there's economics thrown in and finance and, and lending and leverage and, and futures. It has all the finance terms around it, which is kind of cool. Trading is cool. Uh, leverage is cool. <laughs> And then it has all the programming concepts around it, all the math around it, all the cryptography. It's very advanced math and it's very advanced cryptography. And, and finally, there's a way for these cryptographers and these mathematicians, right, to actually apply the, the, the advanced nature of their field and study to, to, um, to something that's cool, that's mainstream, that's making people rich right now. They were, they were got in early and they got in early sort of by accident just because it uses cryptography and math and it programming. Maybe they, I think these people got into it by accident. I don't think if there was this product called Bitcoin and it didn't use any of that, they wouldn't be in this, in this space. They're just in it. So there's people that are in Bitcoin totally in it for the, the math and that's fine. But I don't, I still don't concede Bitcoin being a legitimate asset. I think that if you have a Ponzi-like scheme, just because it uses advanced cryptography and math, right? And maybe that's cool because you get to learn some cryptography and math along the way. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't save the fact that 
this stuff is still Ponzi-like, right? That this stuff is not not productive, right? Just because you can mine Bitcoin and get into power grids and waste a bunch of energy uh, to mine this thing called Bitcoin doesn't mean you should, right? So these cool concepts, like these people would would, and I wouldn't either, right? I wouldn't have learned about the grid. I wouldn't have learned about, you know, and I'm not a math or crypto per, cryptography person um, myself. So uh, there's parts of Bitcoin, well, there's lots of Bitcoin that I don't understand. Um, the math and crypto cryptography part to be specific, um, but, it, but it combines fields of game theory. I don't get that one either. I don't like that, that field very much. Um, I like economics and finance and um, philosophy. And now I'm getting into the power group <laughs> and energy. So that's, that's where I focus on. Uh, and then classifying, oh, a big one too, part of philosophy, you know, is the law around these assets and trying to classify what they are. You know, are they collectible? Are they commodity? What kind of law, what, you know, what kind of securities laws might apply? What kind of like fraud might be going on? Um, anything like that really interests me, but also dissecting how these manias start, how they're built, right? Cause you can have, um, I guess you could have a natural mania. Like some people have said the tulip bubble was sort of natural. Like they didn't try to manipulate how many tulips were created. Now I don't, I don't know if that's right. <laughs> um, but I, I've heard that what happened in tulip mania was that they were really selling like derivative products, futures, and almost like this bulb is in the ground and it's going to produce so many bulbs. They sold the future bulbs and then never took delivery. And they just sort of trusted, you know, they were just trading, I guess, futures. I don't know. But you'd have to assume that maybe somebody was trying to just manipulate the market some way, maybe like create more scarce bulbs. But I think they, they, I think, um, I think the nature of the tulip bulb, they, they like the ones with viruses, I think. And so, you know, assuming they didn't know how to like create these, these special tulips that were rare because they were some kind of weird, uh, rare breed or mixed breed or how they didn't understand how the virus worked. Maybe they did. I don't know. I'm just speculating that perhaps there's some manias that get started, uh, in a way that they're not artificial, at least they're not, they're not, they're not, um, they're not created to be artificial, artificially scarce in the beginning. Maybe they grow to be, but, but, um, but if you wanted to start a cryptocurrency, you would want to create artificial scarcity and you'd want to study, um, collectibles in the past and collectibles specifically that were manufactured, right? That weren't naturally uh, it's like something rare that people just later liked, right? And then nobody at the time um, kept this baseball card pristine, but something later happened where this baseball baseball player was so great, right? And the people want the card. There's not that many good ones. This is like a sort of as, as natural as you can be um, event where you created um, just natural scarcity. Like nobody manipulated this. Nobody knew which baseball player was going to be great at the time. And nobody cared that much about these cards at the time. So they weren't like kept in plastic sleeves. That's kind of natural. But, but this influx of all the baseball cards that were just mash produced later on that, that took advantage of, you know, the, the, the fact that some of these baseball cards were actually rare and sort of collector's items 
Um, but this, I think, I think people got into that because they kind of confused what was going on. They confused what a collectible was. And I think this, the same people that are buying Bitcoin today are confusing what a collectible is. Just like the same people who are buying Beanie Babies were confused about what a collectible really is, right? A collectible isn't something that's currently being mass produced, Bitcoin and Beanie Babies, at least in the 90s. And then an artificial cap, right, is placed on these things. How could that ever be scarce? Um, that's not a real collectible. It just, people are treating it maybe as a collectible, but it's not real. Now I realize that Bitcoin, uh, a lot of Bitcoiners think Bitcoin is not a collectible. They think it's scarce, but they also think it's going to be useful. It's going to have global adoption. Um, so how can you have something that's going to have global adoption or they think it's going to have global adoption? How can you have something like that at the same time be scarce? Well, because they're trying to say that the whole world is going to adopt Bitcoin or most people are going to adopt Bitcoin and they have these complicated formulas. Oh, with Bitcoin replaces all these assets, all the money that currently is in gold or stocks or real estate, all the, the money, the monetary premium, they like to say is going to flow back into Bitcoin. Right. Um, so they have all these pie in the sky dreams and forecasts. Uh, with very large numbers. And that's really hard to comprehend. Like most people can't really process these numbers. You know, how many people globally are really going to put money into Bitcoin? Um, how many people are there? Like they try to do these numbers, but they just don't make sense to anybody. Oh, there's only, you know, going to be 0.001 Bitcoin for every person on the planet or something. And then they talk about sats and they're talking about sats now and they shift their language. When, when somebody gives them an argument that says, well, there's plenty of sats available. There's like 100 million per Bitcoin. There's plenty of those. Well, then they, 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 they shift their language. Um, so whenever they, they use sats when they want to say something like, oh, Bitcoin's cheap. Just buy some sats, right? So they, they say buy some sats whenever somebody says Bitcoin's too expensive, right? It's too late, right? But then when they, when they talk about their opposite, it being scarce, they, you know, they say, well, there's all these people that are going to rush into Bitcoin from all over the, the world and there's only 21 million, right? But then they go back to Bitcoin. So they're very tricky like that. <laughs> um, but I think that, I think that I would say uh, Bitcoin, if, if I were going to compromise with the Bitcoiners, I might give them the term collectible over security. I still think it's really hard to say that you're collecting a, an, you know, a number in a ledger, right? That you have to constantly refer to, right? So normally you think of, I don't even think the government would give them the term collectible really, because the collectible is meant to be a hobby, something that you can enjoy, um, keep safe, give to a child, something that, that brings utility in and of itself. You don't have that with Bitcoin. You can't play with Bitcoin. You can't do anything with Bitcoin. You can't even look at Bitcoin. Um, you can look at a number, right? But that's it. So it doesn't have this quality, really, unless unless they want to claim that the number is cool or something. I guess they could claim that. Maybe in this digital age now, they could claim that. Um, but I think the Bitcoiners would settle for collectible over security. But I do think that... So the, the, the cool thing about collectible is it gives the Bitcoiners an out. It gives them a way to say, this is acting like an investment, right? So, so it looks like a security perhaps, but it's really a collectible. 
And they can, they can hide under this idea that people invest in collectibles all the time. Maybe they shouldn't, but they do because they're scarce and they think they're going to go up. And the way to get money out of a collectible is to sell it for more than what you paid. So, um, they really have a good argument to call it a collectible, I guess, uh, versus a security. I, I don't think it's a commodity, uh, but they've, you know, they want commodity over collectible because, because commodity sounds better than collectible, but, um, but who would regulate a collectible? I mean, I think it would fall down to like FTC, Federal Trade Commission. They might be watching these exchanges. They might be watching people, what they say, you know, if they're lying about it, but, but it would probably be, have about the same regulations as it has today. I mean, honestly, so collectible would be good for the Bitcoiners. They definitely don't want these things to be securities. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I was, you know, I was t- trending towards Bitcoin as a security, but now that I have this option of Bitcoin could be a collectible, I'm, I'm weighing that. Um, I still have a problem with it not being a real collectible, not being a true collectible. It being more like a beanie baby where they were being mass produced at the time and then artificially capped. Um, but I guess the government didn't care, you know, when beanie babies were a thing. So they didn't say, oh, well, this isn't really a collectible. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's okay to do. But if that's the case, you know, my mind is shifting towards, well, I guess the people that create cryptocurrencies and keep them artificially scarce know this, and this is the game they're playing. Um, and so just if you want to get rich, this is what you do. You create an artificially scarce cryptocurrency. Uh, you know, you call it a commodity, you call it a collectible, and there you go. You know, pump it up. Uh, hopefully you have a decentralized network like Beanie Babies did to sort of you know, collect and pump it up, uh, and then you can get rich. (laughs) All right. I guess I'm going to, I'm going to end it here.